This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. Whatever brief moment of sanity the GOP found itself attaining has all but disappeared as the Kevin McCarthy lead party moves steadfastly to shackle its corpse back to the bloated body of Donald J. Trump. I think the Republicans are further away from trying to figure out who they are and what they stand for than I thought they would be at this point. Last week proved to be a watershed moment for the GOP and a reemergence for the Donald. First came his email to the GOP, reasserting baseless claims of a stolen election. Using the stolen language of his opposition, Trump served up a bullshit sandwich with extra mustard by insisting that he was the one who was the victim of the big lie. Ever since he lost, Trump, of course, has been pushing the big lie that he won. This morning, he took that to a new level with this statement, quote, The fraudulent presidential election of 2020 will be, from this day forth, known as the big lie. See what he did there? While party sycophants fell in line, Liz Cheney, the embattled number three ranking GOP House member, refused to take a bite out of what Trump was serving and pushed back forcefully. In a bold Washington Post op-ed that took aim directly at Kevin McCarthy, Cheney wrote that the GOP is at a turning point and history is watching. We Republicans need to stand for genuinely conservative principles and steer away from the dangerous and anti-democratic Trump cult of personality. And my concern is that, that, that as these ideas become normalized, as the Republic, as the right shrugs off accusations of racism and white nationalism and fascism, that in fact our politics is going to be changing, in changing in, in extraordinarily ugly ways. The GOP sees only one path forward, and that's with Donald Trump. You can't be halfway for Trump. That's like being halfway pregnant or having half a tumor. You're either all the way or you're nothing. So the lies, conspiracies, and bullshit must all be embraced with equal vigor. Cheney took a bold stand and will likely come out ahead when history writes the definitive chronicle of this era. But for the moment, she looks to be headed for the wilderness to be replaced by party loyalist Elise Stefanik, who despite having a less conservative voting record than Cheney, possesses the one quality that matters these days. That's 100% allegiance to Donald J. Trump. In a series of statements meant to bolster her bona fides, Stefanik supports not only Trump's assertions of a stolen elections, it is important to stand up for these constitutional issues. And these are questions that are going to have to be answered before we head into the 2022 midterms, Stefanik said to Steve Bannon on his podcast. I fully support the audit in Arizona. We want transparency and answers for the American people. What are the Democrats so afraid of? Uh, the voters in Arizona and the state Senate in Arizona pursued this audit. I fully support it. Transparency is a good thing. We need to fix these election security issues going into the future. Stefanik supports an audit of the Arizona election results, which has become the latest far obsession in their ongoing quest to cast doubt on the results of the election. Let's see what they find. I wouldn't be surprised if they found thousands and thousands and thousands of votes. So we're going to watch that very closely. And after 
after that, you'll watch Pennsylvania and you'll watch Georgia and you're going to watch Michigan and uh, Wisconsin and you're watching New Hampshire. They found a lot of votes up in New Hampshire just now. You saw that. There's accusations that 40,000 ballots were flown in. To Arizona? Into Arizona and it was stuffed into the box, okay? And it came from the southeast part of the world, Asia, okay? And, uh, and what they're doing is to find out if there's bamboo in the paper. But Stefanik's ascent also shows how central the election narrative and Trump's lies have become to the overall Republican message. Imagine that millions of people, including the leadership of the Republican Party, look at him and go, yes, that's our leader. That is our future. This is the man that we want to put back in the Oval Office. You know, it, it, it is this, this bizarre moment where the Republican Party looks at that, that, at that picture and says, yeah, um, this is our guy. And anybody that breaks with him, whether it's Mitt Romney or Liz Cheney, we have to throw, we have to throw them out. Um, and believing this lie has now become a litmus test in the Republican Party. It, it, is, it is now required that you do this. And the Republican Party is in the process of urging people that are willing to challenge the big lie and that are telling the truth about what happened. Party leaders continue to insist they wish to move on from the election and focus on issues that matter to voters. But it seems that to the extremist base who exist in a symbiotic state with Trump and feed off the fake news that he creates, the election is central to the narrative that they are party aggrieved. The Democrats take you for granted. Don't let them destroy your families, your lives, and your future. While the GOP toyed with abandoning Trump in the immediate aftermath of the January 6th insurrection, such thoughts were quickly abandoned as the Trump base quickly ran back to their leader and with them went their congressmen and their senators. What we're witnessing now is one more proxy battle for the soul of the Republican Party. And by soul, I mean with or without Donald Trump. Do we have hope to see Donald Trump run again in 2024? You do have hope. That I can <laughs> You do have hope. Lindsey Graham made it very clear on Sean Hannity that it's Trump's party and you can cry if you want to. In a pathetic appearance on Fox News Thursday night, the South Carolina Republican said his party can't go on unless Trump allows it to do so. Just say to my Republican colleagues, can we move forward uh, without President Trump? The answer is no. I've always liked Liz Cheney, but she's made a determination that the Republican Party can't, can't grow with President Trump. I've determined we can't grow without him. All of these people, like Herschel Walker and all the people you just named, are attracted to the Trump Republican Party, economic populism, uh, America First agenda. If you don't get that as a Republican, you're making the biggest mistake in the history of the Republican Party. Meanwhile, even the Federal Election Commission is determined to let Trump steamroll democracy by bringing an abrupt end to its investigation into Donald Trump's alleged hush money payments to adult film star Stormy Daniels. The FEC was looking into whether the former president broke election laws when I paid $130,000 to Daniel just days before the election win in 2016. However, according to the New York Times, the commission decided not to move forward with the probe during a closed-door meeting in February. You have to understand, Ainsley, what he did, and they weren't taken out of K-12 
campaign finance. That's a big thing. That's a much bigger thing. Did they come out of the campaign? They didn't come out of the campaign. They came from me. I mean, what in God's green earth has to fucking happen for this guy to face one motherfucking iota of accountability? I did my time for his bullshit, and now it's his fucking turn. Thankfully, we're going to let a lot of bites at the apple with the 10 or so different cases and lawsuits pending against this asshole. The move was also condemned by Democratic commissioners Ellen Weintraub and Shanna Broussard, who wrote in a statement, and I quote, to conclude that a payment made 13 days before Election Day to hush up a suddenly newsworthy 10-year-old story was to campaign related without so much as conducting an investigation defies reality. This is the state of the world we live in, folks. At least we have Rudy Giuliani now to kick around. The Justice Department appointed a so-called special master to the Giuliani investigation with the sole purpose of vetting the mountains of collected evidence from the freak show's electronic devices and other files. So you have a man now who's uh, desperate and imbalanced and doing what he would never advise a client to do if he was following uh, book rules, which is to go out and talk to the press when you don't know what their evidence is. That's the biggest reason that you remain silent until you know exactly what you're dealing with. So uh, his, I think I've said before that he should be arrested for impersonating a criminal defense lawyer. Now he should be arrested for (laughs) not being a good defendant. The FBI apparently sees so much compromising information that they must now determine what is related to the case and what is protected by attorney-client privilege. It's a smart move as it follows justice to ensure that the investigation is not tainted by politics or the appearance of conflict. But the bigger issue for Rudy is that the SDNY has got this guy by the balls and his years of records, thousands and thousands of documents and all manner of compromising information about a bevy of former clients, including, yeah, Donald J. Trump. If Giuliani has anything to offer prosecutors to save himself, it would have to be Trump. And they intend to squeeze him until he squeals or gives up something. The question is, what does he have and when will he flip? Keep watching, folks. This is about to get fun. Hey, little girl, is your daddy home? Did he go and leave you all alone? I got a bad desire. And now for the main event. My next guest on Maya Culpa is Jonathan Capehart, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and member of the Washington Post editorial board. Capehart hosts the Cape Up podcast and is an MSNBC host and guest anchor. He most recently hosted me on his Sunday show and has graciously joined us today to discuss the GOP and Liz Cheney, the frightening state of the extremist Republican base, and a host of other issues. So let's listen now to that conversation. Last weekend, in your byline segment, you lamented how Tim Scott once spoke sensitively about race. Now, I know the answer is obvious, but what do you think happened there? You know, how does he say America is not a racist country when he speaks about being pulled over seven times in one year and being racially profiled on Capitol Hill? You know, I and that's why I did the byline the way I did it. I listened to his speech after Joe Bi- President Biden's joint session address, and I kept thinking, wait, how, how is he saying this? Because I remember 
the speech he gave from the floor of the Senate, where he just went into very deep, personal, painful stories of being racially profiled as a young person, as a professional, as a sitting member of the Senate. And he spoke about those in, he spoke about those things happening to him in ways that earned him a lot of respect from a lot of people because here was a black man, a conservative, a, re- a Republican. You put those three together, and a lot of people don't think that that black person doesn't see race, doesn't experience, doesn't experience racism, or they're completely deluded. With that speech, Senator Scott made it clear. I know who I am. I know what's happening to me. I know why it's happening to me. But then fast forward and he gives this speech where he just says, yeah, I've been pulled over and yeah, I've been followed around shopping. But that's beside the point. America is not a racist country. And in the end, whether or not America is racist, to, that question is a distraction. The real question is, what are we going to do about systemic racism so that a sitting member of the United States Senate who happens to be black is not stopped by Capitol Hill police officers who should know who he is. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's just one example. Well, what about the button on his jacket, I, his lapel? Didn't that give it away? Exactly. I mean, what are we talking about? You forget about the fact that they see this man every single day, day in and day. Now, maybe on the very first day, the first week, there could be new people. I get it. But how about that congressional pin right. that's like, you know, three inches in diameter? I mean, it's almost like, what was his name? Um, uh, Flava Flav with the <laughs> clock around his neck. It's I mean, not that big, big that fucking thing it's is, not, right? It's not that big, uh, it's pretty big. But wait, but here... But I'm glad you brought up the pin, because in that speech on the Senate floor, (laughs) he makes the point of saying, one, he had been in the Senate five years by then. And also, he wore the pin and the the, uh, officer who stopped him when he when Senator Scott said, "Uh, do you see the pin? And the officer said to him, I recognize the pin. I don't recognize you. I mean, wow. Come on. You know, you bring up the thing, how is he saying this? I actually have a little bit of a different take that I want you to jump Uh in on. Not so much as how, but why. Why was he saying it? To me, that was that's the most fascinating part about the conversation. Why is he saying it? Yes, he's black. I get it. Yes, he's conservative. I get it. Yes, he's a Republican. I get that, too. But the question becomes, why are you saying that? It's politics. Uh, in the Republican Party, from you know where I sit, it seems that there are things that you have to say and have to do if you want to stay in the good graces of the rank and file of the party, if you want to stay in the good graces of fellow members of the Republican Conference on Capitol Hill, and you've got to stay on the right side of Donald Trump. And right now, I mean, with, with Senator Scott saying what he's saying he's just he's just going along to get along i don't know how else to describe it but we see it happening all over the republican party look at elise stefanik congresswoman stefanik from upstate new york she was someone who democrats went to for co-sponsorship on bills because she was a quote-unquote moderate someone they could work with on the other side who was from the reality-based 
portion of the Republican Party. But that was then. Today, Elise Stefanik, who is, again, a moderate, is about to topple one of the most conservative members in the Republican Party, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, Vice President Dick Cheney's daughter. You can't get much more conservative than the Cheney family or Congresswoman Liz Cheney. And yet Elise Stefanik, who has a lower conservative rating than than Congresswoman Cheney, is about to replace her. And why? Because Donald Trump likes her. And why does he like her? Because she defended him in the second impeachment. Well, is it any different than Donald Trump used to praise me? I was the smartest lawyer, the most loyal. I was, you know, wealthy, you know, anything that he would think that's positive. And then all of a sudden I started to tell the truth and I started to talk about Donald Trump for who he is and all of the legitimate flaws that he has. I talked about his fragile ego and then I became persona non gratis. And that's the same thing. I guess that maybe um, Tim Scott was thinking that he doesn't want to be excommunicated from the racist club. Again, I thought about this and I cannot come up with an answer. I was hoping you would be able to really more the question why I just power. don't understand. In, Michael, in fact, come on, Michael. In fa- you know, you know, the it's, answer. it's really not power, though, but it's really not about the power. It's. I think he would become more powerful within the party, maybe not within Donald Trump's rank and file, but I think he would be more powerful to call the truth the truth. The fact is, there is a racial problem in America. Now, Donald Trump could go to Mar-a-Lago and chow down as many Mar-a-Lago burgers as he wants and say it's not true, but it is true. There is a systemic racial issue. I think we're trying to, under this Biden administration, we're trying to improve ourselves. We're we're certainly not there. But why Tim Scott, who represents something unique, right, as you said, (laughs) a black Republican conservative, he could have been a shining star. He could have been a great example to the GOP had he actually come out and said what he really wanted to say, not this forced, you know, allocution um, that he that he provided. Well, let's just be clear. Uh, Senator Scott um, is a rarity in Congress. He is the only black Republican in the United States Senate and one of very few African-Americans in, in the United States Senate. So. Yeah, look, if if Senator Scott had just repeated the speech he gave on this on the Senate floor in 2016, um, that very powerful speech I was talking about at the beginning of our of our conversation, uh, we wouldn't be talking about him right now, or we would be talking about him, but saying, "Wow, he's he's doubling down. He's forcing the country and forcing the party to look in the mirror, take a look at itself, honestly." about what's going on. And instead, he just opted to put a smiley face on what's happening. Right. Instead of being part of the solution, he just wants to be part of the problem club. And again, you know, if anybody has the answer as to why, I would really love to know it. Hey, everybody. My eyesight is pretty rough these days. Some of it's simply because I'm getting older. But there's also the fact that I spent decades reading legal documents with tiny print. And then there's the hours I spent um, inside prison reading in very low light. 
And nothing destroys your eyes faster than squinting at a paperback for six hours in a darkened cell. And now with my podcast, my new book, and even more documents to read, I get headaches, eye strain, and crazy migraines like you wouldn't believe. Recently, though, a friend introduced me to Blue Blocks. After trying several pairs, I settled on their summer glow blue light glasses. There's no magic. I simply put them on during the day when working with screens or under artificial light. I tried just about everything before I got a pair of these bad boys, including a couple of expensive prescription frames that seem to just make matters worse. Blue blocks just work better. Here's some of the finer points about blue blocks. They're made in optics laboratories in Australia, not mass-produced in factories in Asia. The frames are super stylish that and have been featured in Vogue. They're constructed with science-backed technology, tested to ensure they work, unlike other blue light glass companies. They're a little more expensive than other brands, but they're worth every penny just to have gotten rid of those migraines. Besides, you get what you pay for. After getting my Summer Glow blue light glasses from Blue Blocks, I felt immediate relief, not just from digital eye strain, but my migraines and my headaches lessened as well. Plus, the cool yellow lenses make me look, well, like a rock star. Glasses come in non-prescription, prescription and reading options. Blue Blocks has glasses for every need. Blue light for helping digital eye strain. Summer Glow for helping with low mood and migraines. And Sleep Plus for improving your sleep. Blue Blocks also has other amazing products, such as low blue light bulbs, red light therapy devices, and 100% blackout sleep masks, all backed by science. Blue Blocks ship worldwide in rapid time. Easy returns and exchanges. So go to blueblocks.com slash Cohen and use coupon code Cohen to save 15% on your order. That's blueblocks.com slash Cohen and use coupon code Cohen to save 15%. A recent survey showed couples share a variety of passwords within the first six months of dating. But sharing passwords with a significant other may put you at risk if the relationship ends. Your ex may still have access to your login information, be tracking your location, or access more than you intended if you use the same password for multiple accounts. Your private information is more exposed than ever. This could leave you vulnerable to cyber threats. The all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to have protection in the digital world. Norton 360 with LifeLock gives you comprehensive protection for devices, online privacy, and identity. Device security blocks cybercriminals from stealing personal information on your devices. VPN with bank-grade encryption helps keep the personal information you send over Wi-Fi safe. LifeLock Identity Theft Protection monitors your personal information and alerts you to potential threats to your identity. Now, no one can prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But if you have Norton 360 with LifeLock, you can opt into cyber safety. Sign up today and save 25% or more off your first year by going to Norton.com slash Cohen. That's 25% off Norton 360 with LifeLock at Norton.com slash Cohen. In response to Liz Cheney, since we're going to start really now talking about this Cheney, the Stefanik nonsense. In response to Liz Cheney's refusal to back the big lie and her stirring op-ed, Mitt Romney wrote the following, and I quote, 
every person of conscience draws a line between which they will not go. Now, Liz Cheney refuses to lie. As one of my Republican Senate colleagues said to me following my impeachment vote, and again I quote, I wouldn't want to be a member of a group that punished someone for following their conscience. Do you see a future for a GOP that contains both Mitt Romney and Liz Cheney, as well as someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates? You know, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. You would hope, just for the future of the Republic, that the Republican Party of Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, and uh, the shrinking cast of others would prevail. Um, That's not to say that I agree with him on any policy or every policy, but at least they come to the table with ideas, with substance. The Republican Party, they come from the time when the Republican Party stood for things, didn't agree with a lot of it, if any of it, but at least it was a counter, a counter proposal to what, to what Democrats were offering that made for a dynamic debate. And right now, with the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Matt Gateses and all of these other folks who are not about substance, they're all about performance. They're all about grievance and conspiracy theories. And who knows what else? I think in the short term, the Donald Trump uh, Republican Party will most likely prevail. But in the long term, it is going to be the Republican Party of Romney and Cheney and anyone else who who have anyone else who has true Republican conservative ideas based in true values. And by that, I mean, what the Republican Party, so I was taught growing up, what they used to stand for, smaller government, strong military, a belief in the power of the American ideal, uh, you know, being against, you know, profligate spending and and deficits and, and everything that they threw out the window once Donald Trump became president. And now suddenly some of them are try- are finding the religion again. But it's too late. You just showed, you just proved that everything you stood for was a lie. Stuart Stevens wrote this fantastic book with the title, It Was All a Lie. And he is one of the architects of what we thought was the, the modern Republican Party. I just, I mean, I it's sad to see what's going on with the Republican Party. And as someone who is left of center and a Democrat, I mean, part of me is enjoyed, enjoying the schadenfreude of it all. But as an American, it makes me deeply worried because we are a, for better or worse, a two-party system. And a two-party system will only work if both parties are strong, are based in values, are about substance, and are about solving problems. And right now, the only party that looks like it is engaged in that activity is the Democratic Party. Well, look, I had many opportunities, and I spent quite a bit of time with Mitt Romney when he was running against Barack Obama. We got brought into the whole scenario uh, by Woody Johnson. Trump put me in charge of helping Spencer Zwick, uh, you know, raise money for Mitt. And we spent a significant amount of time. I was actually there in uh, Las Vegas when Trump announced Mitt Romney 
right, stole the show, ah. uh, announced Mitt Romney as the 20, as the 20, right, as the candidate. And I have to tell you, he's actually a very decent man. Now, you're right. There are many things that I agree with in terms of Mitt Romney's policies, but there's equally, if not more, that I don't agree with. But then again, Ed Koch had that very famous line. If you agree with me eight out of 12 times, you should vote for me. If you agree with me 12 out of 12 times, you should have your head examined <laughs> and see a psychiatrist. And it's true. I don't agree with anybody 12 out of 12 times. I don't agree with myself 12 out of 12 times. <laughs> but as long as the ideals and the principles are ones of value, I'm okay if a Mitt Romney ends up becoming a president. Now, I have to tell you, Trump never cared for Mitt Romney. All of that, you know, arm around the shoulder, you know, bolstering Mitt, that was all Donald Trump's attempt to get closer to power if, in fact, Mitt Romney would have won. Instead, behind his back, he would constantly make fun of both his faith as a Mormon as well as the fact that he's stiff. I mean, to listen to Trump talk about Mitt Romney was classic. I mean, it was just, it was classic. It was almost like going to the comedy cafe and enjoying just a good 10, 15 minute laugh because he would just go on and on and on. But yet what bothered, I think, Trump the most is, you know, Mitt is a, is a tall man as well. He's a handsome looking guy. You know, he's very articulate. These are all qualities that Donald Trump mm -hmm. doesn't have. And yet... Donald Trump wins an election and Mitt Romney loses. You know, Michael, as you were talking about um, um, Trump and Romney, you know what picture was uh, flashing in my head? That famous picture of them having dinner. Was it at Jean Georges in the Trump International? It's Trump, one other person, and Mitt Romney has his back, seems like, back to the room, but he's sort of looking off to the side with this very, like, I'm a hostage. Please come save me. Look on his face. And I just wonder what on what on earth was that conversation about and how humiliating how humiliating was it for Romney? But how much did Trump enjoy the fact that this guy who couldn't become who couldn't win his race for president is now sitting in front of him? The rumor, the, the, the reporting was Romney was talking to him about being secretary of state, but from all the interviews I've I've heard you give, and given what you just said right now, it seems to me Donald Trump was using Mitt Romney as a cat toy at that dinner. Just absolutely. Hey, come come to dinner. Let me humiliate you publicly in front of all these people. Because that's Donald Trump. Donald Trump is only happy when he's putting somebody else down, and it's sad because you know. How many people get an opportunity like Donald Trump to become the president of the United States, having absolutely no qualification other than the <laughs> fact that you had 50 percent ownership of a of a television reality show? I mean, seriously, at the end of the day, that was his big qualification, playing the billionaire on a reality television show. I mean, to me, it's it's comical but yet he was only happy when he was putting Mitt down during that time. And when, after Mitt lost, he was actually glad. He, he, I mean, he said it out loud on many occasions. I'm glad he lost. He's a fucking asshole. I'm glad. You know, it's, a, it's an amazing, it's just an amazing um, sort of... Wow. 
attribute that only Donald Trump has. But, you know, the irony of the GOP assault on Liz Cheney and the love fest that some liberals are having for her standing up for democracy is that I saw a recent poll showing that Cheney voted with Trump 97% of the time. I mean, that's, yeah. that's out of control. 97% of the time. Now, now they, they're throwing a legislative ally to the heap, if you think about it, right? If you would, discuss this with me and my listeners. Okay, so he, this is what's so amazing uh, uh, about what is happening. Again, the Republican Party is supposed to be the party, a, a, a conservative party. And in the pre-Trump days, the, the, the Liz Cheney's of the party would rule the roost. I mean, her conservative bona fides are unquestioned. They're unquestionable. There is no doubt that she is a conservative. I am not surprised that she voted with Donald Trump 97% of the time when he was president of the United States. It would be shocking if she hadn't. What is shocking, and this tells you how broken now the Republican Party is, is that a congresswoman like Elise Stefanik, who in the old days would have been called a rhino because she would work with Democrats, she was seen as a moderate, now she is bubbling up and is about to topple Madam 97%. How do you beat 97% with someone who clocks in considerably lower than that in terms of conservative conservative, uh, groups? Let's not kid ourselves. Elise Stefanik voted uh, with President Trump, then President Trump, um, more than 50% of the time. But the the big issue here is what does the Republican Party stand for? And right now, it is not about the substance and policies and values as represented by the career and the family of Liz Cheney, Congressman Cheney. Right now, the Republican Party, by booting Cheney from her leadership post, by elevating someone not nearly as conservative as she as Cheney is, by elevating Elise Stefanik, what the party is saying is nothing matters more than the attention and fealty of Donald Trump. Nothing else matters. It does not matter. No policy position matters. Nothing else matters unless Donald Trump is happy. How else do you explain Kevin McCarthy during the insurrection, the House Minority Leader, during the insurrection, on the phone, it's reported, on the phone, pleading with the president to send in the National Guard and having the President of the United States say to him, well, basically, you're, I mean, if you had just stood up for the election, you wouldn't be in this mess. Going to the well of, going to the floor of the House after the insurrection and blaming Donald Trump for inciting the insurrection. And then a week later, I think it was a week later, there's a photograph of him down at Mar-a-Lago kissing the ring. And he's been kissing the ring every week since then. What does that, I mean, how are the American people writ large supposed to view that? What that is, is, uh, well, it says several things. One, the Republican Party is now a wholly owned subsidiary of Donald Trump. The second thing it says is that House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy will say and do anything 
to not only maintain his maintain power, but to win back the House majority so he can be Speaker of the House. It goes all the way back to the word I used earlier, Michael, power. That is what's happening. And you can't be you know, conservative enough. You have to be Trump enough. Yeah. Look, Kevin McCarthy is a weasel. He's not there kissing Donald's ring. He's actually kissing Donald's ass. And it's really sad. It's a sad display. You know, Jonathan, you ever hear the, you ever hear the adage, you know, what's the difference between an ass kisser and a brown nose? Depth perception. Oh my God. Kevin McCarthy clearly has no. <laughs> Kevin McCarthy clearly has no <laughs> no depth perception at all. Because look, at the end of the day, you are a hundred percent correct. It is all about fealty to Donald. It existed the same at the Trump Organization. Whatever Donald said, you're right, boss. You're a fucking genius. Whatever you say, blow up, blow up China. Yeah, fuck him. Let's nuke him. Yeah, great idea, Donald. How about this one? I'll never. This is God's honest truth. What he used to always say, uh, you know, going back into 2016 and prior, we should invade Iran. And we should take the oil because to the victor goes the spoils. That was Donald's famous words. To the victor goes the spoil. Like he thought he was Caesar, right? <laughs> like he thought he was a dictator. We're going to go in and take it. And then, you know, we say, well, what happens when they blow up the oil well? Because they're not going to let you take it. And then you have to put U.S. military to surround it. All for what? It was all about the money. It was all about what we could take. From somebody else. I mean, like I said, he, he thinks he was like Louis, you know, Louis the, you know, the 14th, yeah. Louis the 15th, running around, right? He thought he was, I mean, who knows who he thinks? Mussolini. He actually thinks that he is the only one who is capable of running this country, of making America great again, right? Think about it for a second here. So Stefanik is there also, lacking depth perception, and kissing Donald's ass. And let's take a look at just a few of the policies that Donald Trump put forth, right? So what do we know? Separating children from the parents. Now, I'm pretty sure that none of my listeners, and even if this was on Fox television, I think most, if not all of Fox's viewers would turn around and say separating children from their parents without even a program how to return them. Is something that's wrong. Are you sure about that? Well, not Donald. Are you sure about that, Michael? I'm sorry, sorry to stop you, but are you sure about that? Yeah, I am. I am pretty sure because I, most people will acknowledge, you know, at least they will to themselves, that separating children from their families is just not right. Okay. I let me say this. I certainly hope that that that's true. And then let's talk about the Muslim ban. Donald tried to point it off as some, you know, bad policy created by Steve Bannon and Steve Miller that they were going to roll out. It was really, it was part of the immigration, you know, getting the immigration situation under control uh, and so on. But it was not. It was technically to ban a religion because he thinks in his mind, he's truly afraid that all Muslims are bad. They're all jihadists. They're all, you know, they're all looking to destroy America. And this is what goes on inside that little mind of his. Then you even talk about like the insurrection, as you were just talking about. Donald Trump himself, his idiot son, Don Jr., McCarthy, this fucking moron Rudy Giuliani, right? Josh Hawley, all of them sitting there, right? Fist up, go America, right? You go, you take over the Capitol, you stop the election. 
the, the, the rightful election and the placement of Joe Biden as the, as the next president, you stop that from happening. And that way, as the paramilitary, we will take over the Capitol and I will become your king. That's what was going on inside that bloviated, ignorant, arrogant, narcissistic sociopath's mind. This is what we need to do so that I could remain in power. Because it's never about anyone mm-hmm. else other than himself. And these are just a few, a few of the ideas. You know, it's interesting. The, the um, Huffington Post had an article, and I remember it very clearly. It was from December of 2016. And it was by um, Lydia O'Connor and a guy named Daniel, I think it's Marins. And the, the um, article is entitled, 16 Examples of Donald Trump Being Racist. Now, I want people to think about this. You know, now you, everyone's listening, saying, yeah, well, tell us something fucking new, Michael, right? You know, it's, <laughs> but it's, 20, it's 2021, right? It's 2021. <laughs> Jonathan, this article was written December of 2016. They already identified 16 examples. Just if they 16- were going to update it, it would be 160. Well, I mean, 16 examples, and I should just say that that was probably abridged, <laughs> even in December 2016. <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy. So now, I mean, we're probably looking at 160 examples, yeah. and that's not even including examples of stupidity. You know, so, look, I, I, I don't know... Um, you know, my hope is that there could be a time when it returns to the likes, the Republican Party turns to the likes of a Mitt Romney or, you know, um, Liz Cheney. Uh, I, I, it's, we, could, we could only hope, right? But, Jonathan, in your most recent Cape Up column for the Washington Post, you interviewed Representative, uh, Representative uh, Pramila Jaipal, mm-hmm. the chair of the House Progressive Caucus, who said the following, and I quote, It's hard to work with people who are actively promoting the big lie. Still, people who are actively denying that the insurrection happened when we were all there. Now, we were there. Some of us were trapped and thought that we were going to die. Now, this is is her quote. As someone with their ear to what's happening on the Hill, do you think that there's a sense of foreboding at the moment as Trump releases this statement where he tries to turn the big lie around on his opponents and rally his base again? Well, I, I think the statement that the that Trump put out it comes as no surprise to to um, Democrats. Um, I, I, you know, he can say whatever he's going to say, and Democrats will read it, take it with a huge grain of salt and then and then move on. I think with Congresswoman Jayapal, when she said that it's difficult to like think about this, Michael, how how could if you knew that coworkers were active at one actively trying to kill you or, or actively encouraging people to storm your office and try to kidnap and kill you and then afterwards those same people deny that it happened or ignore that it happened and then you but you still have to work with them in order to get stuff done i would hope that you would feel some kind of way about that that you would feel really uncomfortable that you would find it difficult to stand in front of someone who you know or at least really feel that they were with the people who were 
smashing windows who were looking for Nancy, speaking of Speaker Pelosi, who were running around with zip ties, who erected a gallows on the west, the, the, on the west side of the Capitol. I mean, how would you feel about that? I completely understand the, the, the anger and the fear and the ongoing foreboding that is present uh, in the Democratic caucus. There are people, members of Congress, who bemoan the fact that they now have to have private security. Still, because of the ripple effects from from the insurrection and the ongoing perpetuate the perpetuation of the big lie. Yes, folks are folks are afraid. When I talked to Congresswoman Jayapal, you know, she was in the chamber for President Biden's joint session speech. And she told me in the interview for my podcast that she reached out to the speaker's office and specifically asked, please do not have me, please do not seat me in the gallery. And if you, I remember seeing, watching on MSNBC, the footage coming from the House gallery, it was Congresswoman Lisa Blunt Rochester of Delaware, who was in full-on prayer as all this stuff was happening. Um, I believe it was Congressman Jason Crow who was up there. Uh, And then you saw Congresswoman Jayapal who was on crouching down on the floor in the House gallery. And if I remember correctly, she had just had knee surgery. So she's down on the floor. Not I don't know if she was in pain, but it wasn't terribly comfortable. Wondering whether the folks who were trying to bust in at uh, uh, bust into the House floor were going to get through and wondering how is she going to get out of there? How are they going to get out of there? I hope that people who are listening now and folks in the country remember what January 6th was like, how close we came to losing our democracy, to losing our country, how close the people in the House and the Senate chambers who were there to certify a small D democratic election to certify the next president of the United States and how those people felt their lives were in danger because they were, how they had to be, um, you know, escorted out by security, how those same people now have to, a lot of them have to have their own security because their lives are threatened by a, a lot of these people, these adherents. It is not a it, it is not a good time in Washington. It is not a good time on Capitol Hill because those wounds, the trauma, uh, the wounds are raw. The trauma is very real. And I don't want anyone for a minute to poo-poo what members of Congress are saying, especially if they're Democrats. You should not discount the, the feelings of fear and foreboding, especially when you have conspiracy theorists who are walking among them, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Lauren Boebert, and, and a few others, um, Matt Gates. Uh, it, it is a strange time on Capitol Hill. And when you put all of that combined with the ambitious, ambitious agenda that President, President Biden is trying to get done, 
it really makes me wonder, will any of this stuff now get done? Well, it will through executive order. They, hopefully Biden does the same thing. I know he doesn't want to, but too bad, right? The goal is to get your agenda done. Trump didn't give a shit what anybody on the Hill had to say. <laughs> That's he true. He was doing it as if he, owned, as if he owned America, the same way he would do it at the Trump Organization. Executive order this, executive order that. That's why things like the First Step Act are worthless, Right. Something that I, you know, recently I lost on my petition for the writ of habeas. But that was done in order to appease black and brown people so that he could say that he's doing more for prison reform than Abraham Lincoln did. The weather's getting warmer and I'm psyched to start grilling again. One of the things I always worried about is how do I know when the meat is ready and I'm always praying it's not overcooked. This new product I came across makes sure I won't mess it up and tells me exactly when it's ready to come off the grill. Meter is a sleek Bluetooth meat thermometer that keeps an eye on the food and lets you know when it's ready to eat. I'll give you a countdown for the cook so you know how many more beers you can drink before you have to get back to the grill. Super simple, super easy, with perfect results. Lord knows I'm not perfect, and that goes for grilling meats and chops. I can't tell you how many times I've overcooked something until it looked like an old shoe or undercooked a piece of meat that looked like it was still mooing. Not anymore, folks. It's perfection here on out with this little beauty, and it's so easy to use. It can be used in a grill, smoker, oven, sous vide cooking, air fryer, rotisserie, literally anywhere. And comes with cloud service so you can have limitless range and still monitor the barbecue while drinking a beer at a neighbor's or running to the store. Welcome to the future. Monitor your steaks or chicken in the app so this way you can kick back and relax and pretend you're doing a whole lot more. This is the perfect tool to be a grill master and to buy for Father's Day if you haven't been shopping. Get 10% off with code COHEN at meter.com. That was M-E-A-T-E-R dot com. It's barbecue season, folks, so let's get grilling. But, you know, you asked me an interesting question. What, you know, what would I do if these people stormed my office? They wanted to kill me. How would I work with them? Well, one thing for certain is they would not be invited for Christmas Day. <laughs> so let me start with that right off the bat. Right now. And, but I do, I, I, in all honesty, I do feel for many of these um, representatives who were stuck in the Capitol on January 6th, because I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like to be on the other side of a tweet of a Twitter rage by a lunatic who has 100 million followers, many of whom are as unhinged as he is, whereby he's telling people to do great harm to you because you're going to testify before Congress to the truth about that individual, right? So, I mean, I talk about it in my book, Disloyal, when I was driving down to D.C. I couldn't fly. I was, I was afraid of being attacked at an airport. I couldn't take the train. That's even worse, right? So I had to drive by myself. Then when I needed gas, I pulled in. I'm, you know, you're looking over your left shoulder, your right shoulder. You know, is this person a Trump supporter? Is this person unhinged? Let me tell you something. It's uncomfortable. But I will say that not one Well, I shouldn't say not one, maybe a handful of Democrats like Eric Swalwell or Representative Cummings, um, you know, and several others. They all went ahead and, you know, they tried to 
help me as best as they could. I don't think that they provided much assistance, but at least they tried. Nobody else did. So when they're sitting there and crying on television, I have to be honest, not one of them picked up a pen. Not one of them wrote an admonishment to Trump. Jerry Nadler joined in on it as well. But most of them walked away from it because it wasn't politically expedient for them to put their necks out. And that's the problem. Fuck them all with their power. Right. It's not about power. You're there to represent the American people. You're there to do the right thing. Don't worry about your next election. If you're competent, you'll be you'll be reinstated. If you're not like Trump, you're going to get booted. To me, it's just that simple. So I don't really feel sorry for them with their trauma. I know the trauma, but not one of them, really, not one of them that are crying about what happened, lifted a finger to help me. Now, maybe that's selfish because it's not all about me. Or, it's, supposed, it's supposed to be about America, but I can only feel my own way. Well, I, and, and you know what? Obviously, I mean, you are right. These are, these are, your, these are your feelings. But I'm going to turn the tables on you and ask you, Michael, I mean, what did you expect them what did you expect them to do considering um, a lot of people looked and said, hey, dude, you lay down with dogs, you come out with fleas. Like, what, did you, what did you expect working, working with this guy? You, helped, you, you worked with him, you helped enable him, so why should, why should we feel um, any kind of sympathy for you. This is separate from the security question and your and and, and you know your your personal safety in stepping forward and testifying against the president of the United States, which is a humongous humongous thing. But what do you say to people who say, "Well, I mean, you did help create Frankenstein's monster." Yes, that is, and I take the responsibility for that. But I don't want people to think for a second that the creation is all mine, right? right? You know, 70 million people voted for my monster, right? 70 million people made him into the president of the United States. Now, yes, I worked for a bad guy. I certainly did. But it's the country made his stupid reality show the number one show on television for several years, which is what bolstered him in the, in the polls and in the eyes of Americans, thinking that he was successful. So in essence, what did I really do? I paid a porn star 130000 at his direction, his and Alan Weisselberg's, for Donald Trump's sole benefit. When this happened, I wasn't even working for him, so that she wouldn't talk about the affair prior days prior to the election is that really enough that i should be hurt i mean ser- seriously is that really enough that makes me into this bad guy so when you say what could they have done what they should have done is just joined in an admonishment to the president you can't use your twitter feed to do the things that you're doing now twitter took it upon themselves to turn around to say, you can't do and you can't say the things that you want to say just because you feel like it, and they threw his ass off Twitter. At least some of the members of Congress, some of our representatives, should have stood up for what was right. And if you really want to be you know, fair about it, maybe they should have sent somebody to drive with me, right? Just to make sure that I got a chance to testify before the House Oversight Committee. How about just do something to make sure that my life isn't in jeopardy? I mean, I mean, Michael, it's it's okay. 
So who? Who was it? Who did who 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 didn't step up? Because listening to both of your 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 comments about this, the particular moment when you were going down to Washington to testify and no one lifted a finger to help, it said this sounds super personal. And it, this isn't just aimed at what you were saying. Seems to be isn't aimed directly. Isn't aimed at Democrats in general. It sounds to me like there's one or two or three three specific Democrats who denied a request of yours. Look, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, waste too much time since you know time is fleeing, and I have so many more important <laughs> okay. issues than my I own just... personal than my own personal gripes. Well, we'll we'll get to that on your right. show I, I, when I get when I get I my, say, when I get my twelve minutes. I was going to say I charge a forty five minute hour. Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You must be a lawyer. So look, Jonathan, I asked this to all of my Uh guests. When does this all end? Right. When does the GOP return to reality? Because it seems that rather than move away from Trump, MAGAism or Trumpism is on the march again. Now, his lies have inspired legislation at both the state and the local level. We talk about that all the time on the show. There's new candidates, and the grassroots seems spoiling for a freaking fight, right? Must Trump go to prison first, or even then are we still doomed to this extremism? No, I think we are doomed to this extremism until it works itself out. Unfortunately, Michael, this is we are in the middle of an ongoing battle, really, for the soul of the country. I mean, Joe Biden was not kidding. Um, In March of 20, I believe it was 2014, an innocuous press release went out from the the Census Bureau, just talking about its latest population analysis And in the headline, it just said, America to become a majority-minority country by 2044. Super innocuous press release. A lot of political scientists, historians, have gone back and said that that press release, on top of the election of Barack Obama as the first um, black president of the United States sort of sparked this white anxiety about its place in America, um, about its place as the center of power and culture uh, in this country. And what we saw, you know, Carol, I'm, I'm pointing this way because it, the book is on my bookcase here. Carol Anderson wrote this book. Um, The title is White Rage. And in it, she shows through history, throughout American history, how an advance for African-Americans always leads to a negative reaction um, by, by white Americans. So slavery, civil war, slaves are freed, reconstruction. That moment in time in America when equality was on the march, African-Americans being elected to the legislature and things like that, the reaction to Reconstruction was uh, Jim Crow and lynching. 
Then fast forward to the Civil Rights Act of 64, the Voting Rights Act of 65, the Fair Housing Act, civil rights movement, all of that. Again, the country, segregation and Jim Crow officially ends in 65. The reaction? Reaganism and a retreat on all of those things. Advancement? Barack Obama elected the first black president of the United States. The reaction, the backlash, the election of Donald Trump as president of the United States. The exact opposite of Barack Obama. The exact opposite of every president that preceded him. Talking about Donald, about Donald Trump. So I've often written and I've often said, Donald Trump was not the disease. He was the symptom. He was very good at exploiting, exploiting the fears and the anxiety among white Americans in this country. And the reason why I say that, I, that this, this battle, this thing that we're in, we're just going to have to live through it until it peters itself out. I say that because as horrifying as Donald Trump's four years in the White House were, and the number of things he did that just tore at the fabric of this nation, both what we are in law, but who we think we are in, in myth and you know perception around the world. Despite all of those things, he still won 12 million more votes than he did in 2016. Even though Joe Biden got the most votes ever for anyone running for president, the openly racist, xenophobic, misogynistic, nativist, incumbent president of the United States got 12 million more votes. That is why we're seeing what we're seeing. That is why we, we are not at the end of the... I don't even know where we are. We're not at the beginning, but we are, we are far away from the end of all of this stuff that we're seeing. And I don't know what it's going to take. Maybe it's one thing that could help, and I don't know if this will help, Michael. Traditionally, the party in power in the White House loses seats uh, in Congress in the off-year election. That means that in 2022, if history repeats itself, Republicans will retake the House. A good way to stomp the brakes on what's happening within the Republican Party and maybe sort of electroshock itself into back into reality, away from conspiracy theories and the big lie, is to have Republicans not retake the House. That would send an incredible signal. Or if they do retake the House, the Democrats not only retain control of the Senate, but gain a few seats. And so that way, there's a, there's a stop on what's coming out of the House. But it also makes it possible for Democrats to say, ho, 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 wait a minute. The country does not want all of what you're selling. Um, I think it would also send a signal to the country, or should I should say that it would be the country sending a signal to Washington that what is happening 
is not exactly what they want. And so if if Republicans fail in taking back the House in 2022, that might be the first of many necessary steps of snatching the Republican Party back from the conspiracy theorists among them. Yeah, I think it's going to be very hard. I think Trump let the the dog out of the cage, and it's going to be really hard to put him back in. Um, you know, just moving forward, Jonathan, Kevin McCarthy seems to have really pushed Mitch McConnell into the background as the party rally around can that rallies around cancel culture and wokeism as a platform, having abandoned any real hope to legislate or to do anything. They're instead instilling fear into the base and trying to push this narrative that Joe Biden is a radical socialist and the Democrats are going to destroy this nation. Unpack for me what you believe to be the GOP strategy here. And even though that we laugh and it's absurdity, do you think that it resonates with their base more than, say, infrastructure? They hope it does. Um, The GOP strategy here, and we've been talking about it directly and indirectly our entire conversation, it is all about power. Kevin McCarthy is motivated by one thing, the House Minority Leader. He's motivated by power. He is motivated by his hunger to become the next Speaker of the House. Uh, He is motivated uh, by expanding the Republican majority in the House of Representatives. Senator Mitch McConnell, the Senate Minority Leader, um, he's conservative. He, they, I mean, he's he's from the Cheney wing of the Republican Party. But for him as well, it is about power. That is his motivating factor, and it's why uh, once again he has come out and said that the number one goal is to ensure that now President Biden does not win re-election in 2024. He said the same thing about Barack Obama in 2010, where he said our number one goal is to ensure that Barack Obama is a one-term president. The, this, the GOP strategy, yes, it is about stoking fear. It is about mining the, anxi- the, the white anxiety and grievance. Um, Trump, when he was president, he couldn't care less about the rest of the country. He only cared about his support among, the, among Republicans. And his support among Republicans always was in the 90s, higher than, say, support for the Republican Party. That is still happening. And it is still happening because we now have Marjorie Taylor Greene in Congress. We have Lauren Boebert in Congress. The fear that he, that Trump scratched in 2016 is now in the halls of Congress, is now in the House. And a lot of those tactics are being emulated in the Senate. Un- until, back to my um, other answer, my earlier answer, until the electorate makes it clear that these people are not who they want on Capitol Hill, you're going to see more of them. And the other thing we didn't even talk about, and this is a huge factor, leave aside, or not leave aside, but the voter suppression efforts in Georgia, Florida, Texas, uh, what's happening in Arizona, um, the other um, you know, voter bills that are being considered in other states. That's one thing that Republicans are doing to try to hang on to power or increase power by suppressing uh, Democratic votes. 
But we've just gone through the decennial census, and those numbers that were just released um, a, a little bit ago are going to be used to redistrict congressional districts around the country. And we've already seen New York is losing a seat. Texas is gaining two seats. I, I probably have these numbers all wrong. But the point I'm trying to make is in state houses around the country, Republican-controlled legislatures, because there are more state legislatures in the hands of Republicans than Democrats, those are the folks who will create the rules of the road for creating new districts that will be drawn to maximize Republican representation, minimize Democratic representation. And so you're going to have a situation where we could have more Boberts, more Gates, more uh, Marjorie Taylor Greens in Congress because the Republicans will be rewriting the lines, redrawing the lines of districts to ensure that more of them are able to come to Congress. These are all the headwinds that the nation is facing. I'm not putting this in terms of that Democrats are facing. These are the headwinds that the nation is facing. And as long as one party has so much control over what's going to happen, and that party is in thrall to Donald Trump, then you know the the safety and security and the long term the longevity of this phenomenal experiment that is America is in danger. Yeah, I agree with you. Except when they lose those seats, despite the gerrymandering and so on, all Trump will turn around and do is come out and say, "Well, that's because the Democrats have Hugo Chavez, right, who's manipulating <laughs> the, the election machines and so on, right." <laughs> When you lock down 22 hours a day on home confinement, you begin to miss the simple things that many people take for granted. For me, that includes the simple pleasure of sitting down in a restaurant and ordering a steak. Luckily, I love to cook, and Omaha Steak delivers restaurant-quality cuts to my doorstep, allowing me to recreate my favorite recipes in the comfort of my home, surrounded by the people I love. So, thank you, Omaha Steaks, for keeping me stocked with the meats. But I also want to remind those of you free to leave your homes that summer is almost here. And that means backyard grill outs. And it is not complete without Omaha Steaks. Visit omahasteaks.com and enter keyword Cohen in the search bar to order the mouthwatering Let's Go Grill package today. Not only will you get great savings, you'll get the tasty bonus of 12 ultra juicy Omaha Steak burgers free. That's almost four pounds of free burgers. To top it off, you'll also get $20 off your first order. The Let's Go Grill package includes four butcher cut filet mignon, four boneless pork chops, one pound of chicken breasts, four kielbasa sausages, and so much more. I'm not going to lie, you've never had steaks, chops, and sausages this good, and I've eaten the best, trust me. Here's to warmer days filled with fun family memories and epic backyard grill outs featuring the best steak of your life. Guaranteed. So go to omahasteaks.com, use the code word Cohen in the search bar, and for a limited time, get 12 free Omaha Steak Burgers and $20 off at checkout on your first order. That's omahasteaks.com, keyword Cohen. 
Jonathan, I want to speak for a moment as we're beginning to wind down the hour. I want to speak for a moment about Rudy Giuliani. One of my new favorite topics here on my Culpa. We've got just a few minutes left. I know that I know that <laughs> Yeah, because I know that I came on your show last week to discuss him and that I believe that he'll flip on Trump to save his own ass. But I'm curious what you're hearing from your sources about what's hiding in his hard drives or on his cell phones. Um, Justice has had to hire a so-called now special master to ensure transparency towards the attorney-client privilege, which means that there's all manner of dirty and potentially compromising stuff on there, including involving stuff that, you know, may deal with Trump. What are you hearing? Well, I mean, in all honesty, I have not done any re- any reporting beyond what I did in preparation for, for our interview. But this this transparency team, or I wonder if it, if it's the same as this the quote unquote clean team that is it's called it's actually called the taint team. taint team that's what it, yes a taint team so yeah the taint team goes in and they're the ones who are, you're only supposed to, you tell me if I get this wrong Michael they're only supposed to be looking for things that pertain to the search warrant or the case that they're working on and. Not to anything that is not germane to that. But to your point, I mean, what happens if while looking for evidence in case X, you see this glaring thing, this glaring illegality, criminality? What do what do those attorneys do with that? I mean, can they? Okay, so they go to the. Let let me let me give you let me give you. Yeah. Let me give you a quick one on this one. So the answer is they will do something with it under several different possibilities. So let's say hypothetically Rudy is incommunicado with Bill Barr and Don Jr. Now, Rudy's a lawyer. Obviously, Bill Barr is a lawyer. But Don Jr. is not. You have now destroyed the privilege because privilege exists between attorneys only. Therefore, that information is now available for prosecutors to go after. Then there's their, their famous catch-all, the crime-fraud exception rule. Mm-hmm. If, in fact, that it's in furtherance of a crime or one that's perceived to be a crime, it's not covered by the attorney-client privilege, no more than trying, you know, to bring your attorney in to help you distribute, you know, heroin, right? (laughs) Those communications are not going to be um, privileged. So I don't believe that Rudy is going to see, look, they took from me 14 million documents, all right? Of the 14 million documents, more than 10 million belonged to my wife and children, and the bulk of it were photos from when they were first born all the way 25 years later. So it was nothing, right? Uh, but they still had to go through it and so on. There were maybe a thousand documents that were under attorney-client privilege, but Trump didn't want to pay for anybody to go through them. Yet the cost on the taint team was like over $2 million, Closer maybe to three, two point seven. Trump's not going to pay that for Rudy. So the whole notion is: Is Rudy going to spend two point seven million plus of his own dollars? How about no? 
He's not going to. He's going to look to Trump and the Republican Party to do it. And Trump is just notoriously cheap and stupid. And that's a very dangerous combination. And the information will get out there. You know, one of the things that bothered me the most as I was watching, you know, his ridiculous son, Andrew, get out there and talk about how he tried to put. I mean, Andrew is even stupider than Eric Trump, which is hard to imagine. But what bothered me the most is the fact that all he tried to do was pawn off some computer that he claimed was Joe Biden, uh, Hunter Biden's computer. But I wanted to give him Hunter Biden's computer. They said, no, no. First of all, schmuck, it's not on the warrant. So you're not allowed to take it. That A dingbat, right? Go back to the golf course. right? I mean, it's the truth. You can't just go in and take whatever you want. You have to take what's listed on the warrant. Second, and what bothered me more, and people aren't talking about it, why the fuck does Rudy have Hunter Biden's computer in the first place? My understanding yeah. is that the feds took that computer from the, from the store that was repairing it, that it was left at. So what did Rudy do? Make a copy of it? I don't know. Maybe there's something illegal there as well. Yeah, I mean, the whole notion, yeah. that computer, my understanding, was That's turned right. over. So why does he still have a copy of it? That's right. I totally forgot that. They took, they took that computer. Right. Jonathan, I think we just opened up another Pandora's box here. You know, I also want to say that I was watching television and something that really bothered me, and it kind of ties in everything that we were just talking about. And then, you know, um, we'll end the show because we're hitting that hour mark. But did you see what happened with that Colorado lawmaker, <gasps> that representative Richard um, Holtorf, the Republican, and so on? Um, I mean, there they are. Having an open debate, which is exactly what the Republicans and Democrats in these committees are supposed to be doing. And what was the debate about? A stimulus measure. And somewhere along the line, Representative Leslie Herod, Mm -hmm. right, who is a Democrat, says something which prompts Holtorf to turn around and say, don't worry, Buckwheat, we're going to get there. Of course, going back to our gang or Little Rascals you know, from 1930s, which we all know is a very racially stereotypical, I -hmm. mean, you know, they name one is Buckwheat. You know, there was another um, black, um, uh, what do you call it, um, actor in in that named Farina. People don't know that. Um, But there was, yeah, named Farina. And, and, uh, And they're obviously to be denigrating. And then, of course, you know, he says, no, 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 it was a term of endearment. And I find it to be so Trumpian, you know, Trump, mm-hmm. Trumpy, right? Th- that, you know, Don Rickles used to have his shtick was like that, where he would denigrate you and then just, you know, I'm only kidding, I love you. The only difference is Trump actually means it. This guy, Holtorf, actually means it. I mean, you know, a term of endearment to denigrate yeah. somebody while you're sitting and debating on the floor? Well, how about this? What if she would have turned around and said, oh, well, here's a couple of terms of endearment for you, you fat, goofy, stupid motherfucker, right? How <laughs> okay. is that for terms of endearment, right? right. No, I'm serious. It's, you know, it's, it so, sounds funny, but I, I truly mean it. It's, we, have, we, have di- we have just dumpster-dived so deep now into where somebody like this guy Holtor feels that he can actually say this shit to another person without getting slapped. I was hoping she was going to stand well, up there and slap him right across his face. Well, I know, I know um, State Representative Leslie Harrod and was not surprised that she was the one um, who 
approached him and said, um, you have to stop talking. You need to apologize, among some, some other things that she said. Uh, look, there are a lot of Republicans out there who are saying the quiet part out loud. And they're saying it out loud because other Republicans have been saying the quiet part out loud to no consequence. They have, they, they have not faced any kind of rebuke. They have not been forced to resign. They have not been forced to do anything. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene is, you know, the congresswoman, she was stripped of her committees, but that's about, but that's about it. She's still in, in Congress for, you know, perpetuating conspiracy theories. But back to Colorado, um, the key thing here is that Republican state legislator was held to account in real time by... State Representative Herod, woman of color, black woman, who, like a lot of black people in this country, are done with being disrespected. And certainly among elected officials to no longer rely on on tradition and and comity and those sorts of things, uh, the protocols that are in place in state legislators, le- state legislatures, so that, you know, things can move along. Folks are done with that. They are tired of it because it is, you know, what that Republican legislator said was wrong. It was racist. It, um, it needed to be, it needed to be challenged and it was, and you're going to see more of that because People like State Representative Leslie Harrod were sent to state capitals to lead, and she showed leadership. And it's too bad that there aren't more Republicans in leadership positions around the country who don't do the same and hold their members accountable and, and you know, make them suffer consequences for doing things and saying things that not only rip at the fabric of relationships, you know, within legislative bodies, but in the end are part of a larger ripping of the fabric of our country. That's what we're up against right now, Michael. And my hope is that it's not just people like Representative Herod who has to do it. My hope is that the citizenry, when you're thinking about who you're going to pull the lever for, right, who you're going to vote for, for, power to represent the people. My hope is that people like this representative Holtorf get elected out, you know, get thrown out of their office. And that way you send another very powerful message to all of those others that think that it's okay, because this is not a black and white issue. It's not. This is a human issue, right? To disrespect somebody while you're talking about a stimulus, a debate on a stimulus measure. This is just it's just wrong. I mean, right is right, wrong is wrong, and this is just wrong. So that's my that's my hope. Agreed. Well, Jonathan, thank <laughs> you so much for joining us. Uh, appreciate you. Uh, I'm sure I will be seeing you again very soon. And you know, keep doing keep doing what you're doing and keep fighting the good fight. Michael, thank you, thank you very very much. I can't believe the hour is already over. Yeah, how time flies. Now I only have six more months in. 18 days before, actually 15 days before I get off my home confinement. So I'm one hour closer. <laughs> Not that you're counting. <laughs> you, you be well, John. All right. Thanks, Michael. And now for today's mea culpa. 
Hearing the news that the FEC decided to drop its investigation into Donald Trump had me briefly demoralized. Once again, behind the scenes, someone else cleaned up Donnie's mess. This time it was the three GOP members of the FEC board who all voted to drop the case against the wishes of the Democratic committee members who thought it to be madness. But this is how it goes with Donald Trump and the way it has always gone. The man rarely pays the price for anything. Instead, it's the people around him who find themselves behind bars. But fear not, judgment is coming for Donald Trump. There is simply too much momentum, too many cases, both civil and criminal, for him to scurry away and avoid his fate. But we must be patient. Trump will exhaust his last penny to avoid going to prison. He will sacrifice his children. He may even kill. It's the one thing he fears more than being poor, and that's behind bars. Because he knows what's in store. He saw how Bernie Madoff just rotted away for a decade and died a broken and lonely man. Not that I wish death upon the man, or any man, and when you create so much misery for others, you can expect it back in spades. Now with Rudy's own neck on the slab, this is the moment when Trump really starts to sweat. These two broke more laws together and did more shady shit than anyone can imagine. People can't fathom the depth of their personal conspiracy, and it's all about to come out. This Trump cannot escape or avoid. So this is where it ends, and it can happen, hopefully, soon enough. And thanks for listening. Hey, movie lovers, who needs a theater when you have Pluto TV? Grab your popcorn and your streaming device because free movies are here. Pluto TV is your home for movies. Great movies are playing anytime in over 20 exclusive movie channels of action, horror, rom-coms, and more. Watch hits like Saving Private Ryan, Pretty in Pink, and Charlie's Angels all for free. No signups, no fees, no contracts. Ever. Download the free Pluto TV app on any device. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. (laughs) 